morning again, my sisters and brothers. Um, I'm excited to continue this morning. Uh, we're going to look this morning, uh, keeping with the theme of the Christian life and the journey. This idea of a journey becomes a really helpful metaphor of the Christian life, viewing it this walk of following Jesus as a journey. And like any typical journey or road trip, you may find some roadblocks and setbacks, detours that take you way out of your way. That makes the destination seem so far away that the anxiety creeps in and you find yourself, I don't know if you had that one, we had one. Are we there yet? That's a road trip. That's the Christian life, the journey of following Jesus. It's long. And also on this journey in following Jesus, there are what we talked about last week as walls, three-foot walls we talked about last week. Because I introduced to you this story. If you weren't here last week, I shared a story that was permission given from a good pastor friend of mine who talks about a chance when a son and the dad went to the zoo. And we talked about the African Impala. Now, this past week has been great. I've got a lot of people sending me, you know, pictures and, you know, videos, YouTube of these animals. They're amazing. So I got a couple pictures, right? Beautiful creatures. Beautiful. But if you notice, they, they, aren't, they aren't real scary looking. And so God, by loving design has equipped them with the ability, on this next slide you'll see, where they can, in a standing still position, jump 13 feet straight up in the air. And then leap out 30 feet, effortless. All because this is a safeguard, protection from predators. And so the Impala, not the car, but the animal, is an amazing designed creature by God's love. And so I said that the crazy thing is that you can go to a local zoo and see this exact same animal behind a three-foot wall. It's crazy, I know. How was that possible? Well, my good pastor friend and his son kind of leaned in as the zookeeper explained that the zookeepers teach the impalas when they're young that they can't jump. Those born into captivity are taught this because they're preying on a weakness, if you will, of adult impalas. You see, they won't jump. They won't use their God-given potential and ability if they can't see where they're going to land. They won't jump. They won't leap. And so the little ones kind of watch the adults just walking around, being pretty, but not doing nothing. In my journey as a young youth pastor and minister, and huh, I found I got my walls, and many that I work with are struggling behind walls as well. So the question was, what's your three-foot wall? What is it that is separating you from the love of God? That's how these walls work. 
They make the Father's love so distant. Where singing songs like good, good father, anything with father in it, it just rubs you, ticks you off. Holidays like Father's Day and Mother's Day just don't get it for you. Hallmark is just running a game. Because this love, this amazing love, just doesn't connect with you because there's some wall preventing you from embracing and being embraced by God's love. So what's your three-foot wall? It's real. But God's word is truth. I read to you last week from Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of Christ? And this great list that Paul throws out. Nothing can separate us, not death nor life, angels or rulers, things from the past, present, future, Nothing created can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. So what's up with three-foot walls then? Hmm. I'm learning as I got to hear this past week some amazing conversations in home group and from other home groups wrestling with this idea of these walls. You know, the truth is it's not about the wall. It really isn't about the wall. Because for the Impala, what's three feet? When it can jump with 13. What's three feet? It's not about, it's about the Impala. What they believed. So it's not about me and what I say, my issues. It's really about me. and What I'm allowing to separate me from God's love. This morning, I want to shift gears a little. I want to continue talking about the Christian life, this journey, using that analogy, and talk about walls as well, but from another angle, if you will, another perspective on walls. In this way, walls represent the painful events in our life. The hard times, suffering, call them walls of suffering, tests and trials that are a part of the normal Christian life. Peter says, don't think it's strange when you enter these kind of trials, that something has happened to you. It's a part of the normal walk. If you're going to follow Jesus, there is the joining with him in his suffering and also his glory. The suffering is real. Well, these are walls, people, that we run smack up into, and sometimes we feel like they fall on us. How are you dealing with your wall? We're told to find joy in trials and suffering. I want to look this morning in the book of James. James, an amazing brother. Uh, we're looking at Acts in our teaching series on the countercultural community. Well, we'll look in coming up in, James, in um, Acts 15 about the Jerusalem Council. Well, James was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. All right? 
And so he shares what I believe some good, meaty, practical teaching about the Christian life and how to go through the Christian life. So if you got a Bible, come with me to James. It's in the New Testament. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. I want to make sure that you can follow along with us. In that Bible we're passing out will be on page 586, book of James. And chapter 1 is where we'll, we'll start. Join me at verse 2, where James, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers. And this word actually is best translated, brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, God, I love you, so just have your way, mighty spirit. Let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I trust you. Do your work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a key biblical truth that I want to share with you. I want to leave with you, and if nothing you remember, skip the impalas and the walls. Just remember this, if anything, this truth that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must believe that the walls of suffering that we face are being used by God to refine our faith and love for God so that we grow in joyful spiritual maturity. I'll say it again. As followers of Jesus Christ, the beloved, we must believe that the walls of suffering that we face are being used by God to refine our faith and love for God so that we grow in joyful spiritual maturity. So the question to beg and answer for is, how joyful are you in your trial? Are you finding joy? <laughs> it was more spontaneous last time, but I'm reminded of a song when I was a little boy in Sunday school. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And we would say, where? Down in my heart, down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack, ouch, sit on attack, <laughs> sit on attack, and if the, man, we would sing that song, and I was just, thought about this, so last night we were hanging with good friends, friends since I was six years old, we were six years old together, in Sunday school singing that song, and he would put tacks in the chairs, thanks to that song, you know, praise God for good friends. Honestly, he's a pastor now <laughs> in the San Jose, and I'm thankful for his presence and his family in my family's life in this season of life. Because I've had my share of walls and trials and tests, 
But I'm thankful that finding joy in them is what God expects. But there's some key points, checkpoints on the journey that I want to talk about today, just three. These checkpoints, these, these ways to mark the journey. You know how checkpoints help you when you're on the road trip to figure out where the next stop is, how far I've been going, how far I got to go. Need these checkpoints. Well, three from this passage I want to look at quickly. The first one is this, that spiritual maturity is the goal. The goal, the destination, where we are going is to be mature in Christ, to reflect Jesus in our attitude and our actions, to be conformed in the likeness of him. This is the work the Spirit is doing in us to be more like him. That's our goal. The checkpoint before that that moves us forward to that goal is the second one, that testing of our faith is the pathway. So we got to go, but to get there, we got to go the path of testing. And along the way, what we will cover and what we need is to be able to find joy in the trials that we face and have a strong conviction for this joy. The first one I talked about is our goal, spiritual maturity. Verse 4, James writes, So let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about better translated word being mature, being whole, an adult in the Lord. Because there are different stages, like with children. There are stages for us spiritually, being an infant after being adopted into the family. And then you grow as you do those things that will cause you to grow healthy. Now, you're going to grow regardless, but healthy or not is the challenge. Well, the way to grow to spiritual maturity is through tests and trials. James uses the word that makes the bridge between verse 3 and verse 4 of steadfastness, he says. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Steadfastness. Now, that word, in other translations, you might have let patience or endurance is a good way to put that. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be steadfast? James, again, his whole book is just, just powerful. In chapter 5, you want to flip there. It's on 588 in the book we passed out. Just flip over a page. In James chapter 5 and verse 11, he helps us out when he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've, been, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So I pose to you this, based on our brother James's 
words, that steadfastness looks like what Job went through. Remember the story of Job? Old Testament, right? Now, there's a book called Job, but we don't believe that he's the writer of the book. Um, the opening scene of this is in heaven. And we learned that the whole thing that Job is about to go through was like a contest between God and Satan to see if Job's love for God could stand the test. God had confidence in his son. Isn't that amazing? I would love that, for God to have confidence in me, that my love for him could hold in the testing. Well, Job, get this, didn't know none of that. He had no idea what was going on. He never got an answer for his trials. So his wife didn't know, and what we call the friends of Job didn't know either. They had no explanation for him. They're trying to encourage him out of ignorance. So Job decided to rest in nothing but faith in God's goodness and the hope of his redemption. The fact that God rewarded his trust is the beauty of the story. And so for us, when there is no rational or theological explanation and no one we can really find to blame for these walls of sufferings that are on us, we must trust God. But get it now, this steadfastness is for the long haul. It's not a microwave deal. You don't control the time of the test. Too many of us, including myself at times, we want to give up before the slow work of God has had its full effect. So James says, let the steadfastness have its full effect. Don't jump out too quick that you might be, when it's all done, perfect and complete, lacking nothing, full effect. The patience, we often have this phrase, the patience of Job. I'm not talking about some passive submission. I'm talking about an active steadfastness, grit that doesn't give up, an attitude and a posture that follows and reflects the model that we have from Jesus. Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We have a beautiful model to follow. And follow we shall, because the path that we follow it's the testing of our faith. Verse 3, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. You know this, people. Really. So again, this is the normative. This is the expectation that he is writing to his brothers and sisters, the Jews that are now scattered throughout the known world perhaps due to the persecution that we read about in Acts 7, 
when Stephen was martyred, the Christians were scattered. And this letter from James is for their encouragement. You know this. We've seen the testing and the trials. This is God's designed way to move forward in your spiritual maturing. God is desiring to prove, or better word, refine the genuineness of your faith and love. The pain has a purpose. The purpose is to refine your love, your faith in God. This means that that's going to be put to the test. And the test, I'm reminded of the illustration of how gold and silver is refined. What we have, these different carats of gold, goes through a process to get it to a pure form. I looked up a video just this past week watching this thing. It is amazing. Oh, my gosh. It goes back to ancient times. They have more modern methods now. But that old goldsmith would sit in that room with that big, big furnace, and he would put the gold in a crucible, something that was built to withstand the fire, and he would put it into the furnace, 2,000 degrees heat onto the gold to melt it to liquid form. And every so often, he would bring it out carefully. And with another tool, he would remove the impurities that would float to the surface of the liquid gold. And with that tool, he would just gently, skillfully remove it and then place it back into the furnace. And then repeat that over and over again until he can take it out and tip it up and look into the liquid gold and see his reflection. That's when he knew it was pure. He could see his reflection. That's what Jesus is doing with us. He has us in the crucible called life. And he places us into the furnace, the fire of tests and trials. With the whole purpose of allowing the impurities, the unhealthy affections and attachments, to rise to the surface so that he can just lovingly, skillfully, mercifully remove them from the surface until he can see his reflection in us. I love these verses that speak to the refining process of God. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, Deuteronomy 13, verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Malachi 3, and verse 3. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work 
of what sort it is. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13. Hear this from Jeremiah. Says the Lord, I will refine them and try them. And the psalmist says, you, O God, have tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. We went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out, yes, to rich fulfillment. Coming through like gold. Your pain has a purpose. The test is not from an unloving, crazy, mad scientist. It's from a loving God whose purpose is to refine his children. I love this quote by Pastor John Stott. He writes, We say that we believe that God is a loving father, but as long as we remain untested on the point, our belief falls short of steady conviction. But suppose the day comes, as it does and will, when circumstances seem to mock our creed, when the cruelty of life denies his fatherliness, his silence calls into question his almightiness, and the sheer, haphazard, meaningless jumble of events challenges the possibility of a creator's ordering hand. It is in this way that the life's trials test our faith for genuineness. All of that said, James says to count it all joy when you face these trials. When you're getting burned in the fire, James says, Count it all joy. When they turn the heat up, turn it all, count it all joy. What? Does that make any sense to you? We're reading the same Bible, right? Just want to make sure. But this is the expectation. Count it all joy. That little phrase. And how do we find joy in trials as a strong conviction? Count the word means, or better understood as, consider. The way we should account for something, consider. Some translations even use that word, consider it all joy. Paul uses that same word when he writes in Philippians. I count everything as loss in respect of the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. I count it all. I consider it all nothing compared to this love of knowing Jesus. Consider it. Consider it. Count it. That two-letter word, two letter word, it. Small, tiny word, but it packs a whole big punch. The it encompasses, embraces all of the trials. Consider it, all of those trials. I like that word various, but it really doesn't speak well to what James is talking about. It's better translated many colored trials. 
many colors, various trials, different sizes, different thicknesses of walls. They all are encompassed, embraced in the word it. Consider all of them, not just the big ones, even the three-foot wall ones, all to be counted all joy. Joy. Not happy. We're not talking about happiness. The life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that's not in Scripture. Pursuit of holiness, that's our calling. It sums up in its tiny compass every one of the various trials which present, which they present that the present contains, the future may bring, or the past may keep stored in memory. I love that from Stott. All the trials of a follower of Jesus is embraced in that word. And the joy that we need in light of the pain that really sucks. God understands. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 11, he tells the truth. He says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But nevertheless, Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That refining process where gold is made pure is so that it's useful for jewelry. And the many uses that we have for pure gold and silver. Our pain has purpose. This phrase, I don't know who said it. I heard it years ago. It came to me this week. Those Christians that God can use the most are those Christians that God has bruised the most. Mm. The joy set before us. You know, receiving the gift of God's love through the Holy Spirit and our experience through the walls of suffering that come upon us to test our faith will transform us forever. But the failure to understand the nature and reality of our journey through the wall or test and trials of our faith can result in some long-term pain and confusion. We can, in fact, become stunted and stuck at the wall. Now, these walls, they come from different experiences. And a good mentor and brother, Pastor Pete Scazzaro, wrote like this. He said, for most, it would be an unexpected crisis beyond our control. The walls can come, perhaps, through a divorce, a job loss, the death of a close friend or family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience that leads to church hurt, betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to have children, a desire to get married that remains unfulfilled, or even just spiritual dryness, the loss of joy 
in your relationship with God, we find ourselves questioning ourselves and God and the church because for the first time in our life, our faith doesn't work. We don't know where God is. What is God doing? Where is he going with this? And when is it going to be over? Many throughout history have referred to these walls, these intense testing of faith, as dark nights of the soul. St. John the Cross writes about that. I look at Scripture. Old Testament is full of those who went through walls of testing and suffering. Women and men. There's Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Esther, Hannah, David. They all had their walls. Sometimes 25 years, 13 years of hardship and challenge. And there were those that got stuck at the wall, like Judas. His refusal to accept the plan that Jesus had. His disappointment and expectations gives a very tragic story of a wasted opportunity. And I've known many in the faith, sisters and brothers, who got stuck at the wall. They gave up because they couldn't see the big picture of God's plan, the plan of transformation for his disciples that included going through walls of suffering. I want to help you remind you there is something for you on the other side. This last slide talks about the joy on the other side of the wall. Four little characteristics that I think might help in us understanding what God is doing in us. The first is a, great, a greater sense of brokenness. Pride and judgmental attitudes reside deep in our hearts. Constantly judging other folks' spiritual journey. That is something God wants to root out of us. And going through walls is a way God can do that. Before we go through the wall, we prefer to exercise our right to determine and judge what is good and evil, rather than leaving that knowledge to God. And afterwards, we know better. Number two, I say, would be a greater appreciation of holy unknowing, embracing the mystery of God. God's ways are not our ways. God's timing is not our timing. But like me, many of you maybe, you like control. You want to know how long it's going to take to get there. GPS is awesome. You know, we can look up, oh, 13 miles to my destination. I'll get there by 12.05. Mm, my destination, Christ-likeness, I'll get there. Ooh. As I surrender. Three is a deeper ability to wait on God. You see, once I am broken before God, 
and I can just trust the mystery of God, waiting on God is a real good next step. They that wait upon the Lord. I love how the psalmist says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my trust and hope. This type of attitude and posture. If you don't want to wait, it will prolong your time at the wall. Because this last deep work, a greater detachment, oh, in me the impurities, the unhealthy affections and attachments that need to be uprooted, going through the wall of suffering is an internal work. It's an internal work, and God needs that internal space to do some deep detachment work from the world's loves and care. Our journey to follow Christ will find ourselves becoming attached to so many cares and things that hinder us in our devotion to God. It is true that if we live our lives like the world, that's normal, but we're called to have an eternal perspective that allows us to be free from the power of things dominating us. So I want to end with some reflection questions. A lot to process, and I want to give us a little space to do that. Just two questions. The one is, what are the reasons you find it hard to trust God in accepting and moving through your wall? What makes it hard to trust God? And the second one, with that list I showed you, choose any of those characteristics and just let the Lord show you what is he seeking to work in you right now? What deep work does he need space he's asking you to surrender to right now? We'll put that slide back up so you can look at that. And I'm going to invite the Ryan to come back up, and he's going to just play some music for us to listen and reflect and pray. Let you wait on the Lord for a moment for him to show you. We'll have more space in home groups this week to do that as well. I want to pray for us as you go into this time of listening. So God, thank you for your long-suffering, merciful, steadfast love for us. The kind of love that won't give up, that continues to chase us, seeking to capture us. We yield and surrender to you and love you. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.